Good morning again. If you have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 2. This coming Saturday is a watershed moment in church history. It's a crucial turning point, if you will. And I'm not referring to the observance of Halloween. I'm referring to an event that happened 503 years ago today. An event that changed not only religious, but also secular life. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg. It was an invitation to church leaders to debate the selling of indulgences. Archbishop Mayans authorized Titzel to sell indulgences. And by purchasing an indulgence, one could reduce the length and severity of punishment required as a payment for their sins. This directly helped the building of St. Peter's Basilica that stands in the Vatican today. Now, Tetzel is quoted as saying, quote, as soon as the coin in the coffer clings, a soul from purgatory springs. Uh, if you wonder what a coffer, it was just like a tin cup, so he would go around saying that, and when someone threw money in it and made that sound jingling, he said, as soon as the coin in the coffer clings, a soul from purgatory springs. Now, Martin Luther, when he nailed those 95 theses up to the church door, the Reformation had already started slowly, but what he did was walk by and throw gasoline on a fire and throw a whole bunch of wood on top of it. Some of the great cries of the Reformation were, Sola Gratia, grace alone. Sola Fide, faith alone. Sola Scriptura, scripture alone. And Solus Christus, Christ alone. Now, Luther had reached a conclusion after reading the book of Ephesians, specifically chapter 2. And the one specifically mentioned is grace alone through Christ alone. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's a very dark picture. But look at verse 4. But God. This is where the scene turns dramatically. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift or the gift of God, not as a result of works, 
so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. He starts by saying, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Literally, that is a present tense verb in the Greek. You are being dead. Now, this is not a reference to being physically dead. We can see in verse 2, he says, you formerly walked. And in verse 3, he says, formerly lived. This is a reference to being spiritually dead. Although one's physically dead, you can have the faculties of intellect, affection, and will. You'll have your mind and emotions, but they are bent and turned away from God. To be spiritually dead means to be insensible to the things of God. A spiritually dead person does not love and cannot please God. In fact, all they want to do is to please themselves. They may appear to perform good deeds from an external perspective, but inside they are dead. To be spiritually dead is to be separated from God, hostile to God. It means to be cursed and condemned by God's law. It means to be unresponsive and ignorant of God's love. How are we spiritually dead? Look at the verse. Your trespasses and sins. Trespasses could be also stood, understood as falling aside. If you ever walked a steep path going up a hill or a mountain and you step and you lose your footing or perhaps walking down the sidewalk, you step off or step off the curb, you lose your footing, you kind of fall. That's what it's talking about. And sins simply means to miss the mark. Uh, I went out to someone's house, been some months ago to practice uh, with my, my weapon, my uh, guns, and though I aimed at the target, sadly I missed lots of times. I'm not going to tell you who that is because I'm sure he'll let you know after service. But my point being, I was aiming towards the target, but I missed. Now after a while of working on it, I, I started hitting, or perhaps taking an arrow and shooting at it. But it also means this. You set goals for yourself, or you set goals, I'm going to do this, that, the other. I, I want to make a, a 95 on this test, or I want to do this. And we set these goals for us. What sin is, that that goal has been set, but no matter how hard we try, we cannot make it. So no matter how hard we try to be perfect or perfection, we keep missing the mark. We cannot attain it. We can't reach that bar, no matter how hard we try. Look what he says, in trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course or the age of this world. And this is a reference to how one is living, living in accord with the standards of the world, a world that rejected Christ and nailed him to a cross, the standards and principles upon which you make your decisions every day. Now, here's, here's a side note. Just because something is legal does not by default make it morally right. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Christ speaking says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Here's a picture of LBJ Freeway in Dallas. Nice, big freeway. 
pretty straight, lots of lanes. And you can see there, that's an unusual picture because LBJ usually has a lot of traffic. And just like the text says, wide is the way. And let me tell you, there's so many people get on that freeway, it does become gridlocked at times. So this is what I'm trying to point out, just what Jesus is saying. Wide is that way, and there are many who go that way. And in fact, I would tell you even more, my way I would describe there's so many that just like that freeway gets jammed up. There's so many people heading the way to destruction, and they're all just going about it, following everybody else, or not stop to think about what's really going on. Here's a picture of 455, FM 455, which runs right here in front of the building. Look how narrow it is. There's no shoulders. In fact, that turn goes off to the left. We're not quite sure where it goes. No one around. Very narrow. And just like the text says, the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to everlasting life. If you're wondering, by the way, that's a picture Right there where the Lowell's live, that's where that turn is. I, I like that picture because that turn was, quote, too sharp by Texas DOT, and then they kind of straightened it out. But to me, it's still as sharp as it was. Maybe not as bad. But I want you to put that picture in your mind. I mean, look at our society. People do things without even thinking about it. They just follow the masses. Okay, let's go this way. It's easy. You don't have to put up with a lot of debate. I don't put a lot of argument. I'll just go with the flow and whatever. And what I'm telling you, when we become Christians, a follower, a believer, a disciple of Christ, we are supposed to be walking that narrow way that goes against the tide. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, it says on, according to the prince of the power of the air. This is no doubt a reference to Satan. Now, numerous Hellenistic and Jewish texts treat the air as the realm in which forces hostile to humans dwell. place where they attack humanity could be right here among us in this reality. It's the atmosphere or climate of thought that influences people's minds. Media as I'm using today, is a very powerful medium to influence people's thoughts and their actions. What we watch on TV, the films that we watch, who we listen to, will all affect your mind and your thoughts. You affect the mind and the thought of somebody, you affect their behavior. Hitler was once quoted, tell a lie long enough, and the people will start to believe it. We have to stop and think, and this is speaking to me as well this morning, what am I allowing in? Because I tell you, a lot of stuff going on today does not fit with Scripture. Scripture does not condone a lot what we see going on. And very briefly, let me remind you, over 60 million innocent lives have been taken in this country. Do we think that God's going to sit idly by and let that happen without any type of punishment or wake-up call? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 puts it this way. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 
A lot of times when you talk to somebody, they can't see it. They've been blinded. Our job as believers, as disciples, as a church, is to go forth and let our light shine so that may penetrate the darkness. Because as he says next, lest we think too much of ourselves, well, he says, among them too, we all formerly lived. I was once there myself until someone presented the gospel to me. And it penetrated that darkness. It says, we live all too formally live, indulging the desires of the flesh. Immorality, impurity, idolatry, sorcery, drunkenness, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, and envy. It's embracing or implementing everything that's in opposition to God. It overtakes and conquers the outlook of an unbeliever. Constantly at war with God. Incapable of submitting to God's law. The only thing that can overcome the darkness is not self-help or self-improvement. It can only be overcome and conquered by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't read any book that's going to get you out of that darkness. It's going to bring you true happiness, true satisfaction. It has to come from the Holy Spirit. And notice he says in that verse, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Literally, that word is thoughts. So it's not just the physical actions or physical urges or impulses, but it includes qualities such as pride, conceit, arrogance, or self-seeking. So it's not just acting things out, but what do we think and how do we conduct ourselves? The motivation of the heart. Personally, I think what keeps us away from God, what keeps unbelievers from coming forward and giving their lives to Christ, and what keeps us living as we should comes down to one word, and I'm guilty of it just like anybody else, and that is pride. I don't need anybody else. I can do it myself. Oh, no, you can't. What did he start out by telling us in verse 1? You were dead. And this results in, look what he says, by nature, children of wrath, we are worthy to desire, I mean, excuse me, we are worthy to receive divine judgment. That is a very dark depressing, scary scene that the Apostle Paul has just painted for the Ephesians and for you and I. If the story stopped there, we would be in a world of hurt. There would be no hope. But look what the next verse says. But God, being rich in mercy. Oh, I'm so thankful that he is rich in his mercy. Or you can render that compassion. Because of the great love that which he loved us. Those are the two reasons, the motivations that's saving us from judgment. His mercy and his great love. Those two things combined together is the reason why he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him 
Jesus came in this world with one mission, to redeem all mankind. And that grace and mercy and forgiveness is available to every man, woman, and child on the face of this planet. But there's a time coming very soon that it will stop. I refer to the second coming of Christ. We don't know when that time is going to happen. Could be today, tomorrow, next week. We don't know when we're going to physically die. We like to think, I, I like to be here and watch my kids continue to grow and have kids and continue to build some more grandchildren, watch them grow up. But any time I could be, I could die. I could be in a car wreck. Tons of things that happen to me. I have to be ready. That's why we hear the message, the gospel. We need to respond right then and there because we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. Um, I'll give credit for for my wife saying this to me. Perhaps you've heard it before. We call this what we're living now, the present. 11 o'clock is already coming on. That's the past. We can't do anything but happen. We can learn from it, hopefully. We may have to apologize and seek forgiveness for things we did in the past, but we can't change it. I don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes from now. All I have is the here and now, guaranteed to me. That's why we call it a the present, because that's what it is, a present. By grace, you have been saved, delivered, rescued. We have no possibility of ever winning God's approval. Remember, he told us, you were dead. You don't come to church to earn God's favor. You don't get involved in ministry to earn brownie points with God. You get involved in that because of the relationship you have with God and serving Him through those various churches and ministries. You cannot manipulate God. In fact, Scripture tells us that God will not be mocked, for a man will reap what he has sown. Perhaps we as a country are weeping reaping what we've sown for so many years. No effort or merit of our own will ever be good enough. Isaiah Isaiah 64, verse 6 tells us, all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. We cannot earn our way. We are saved by His grace, His unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. And he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Believers sharing the vindication and exaltation bestowed upon Christ. Our true home is where Christ is. Our true citizenship is in heaven. And this belongs to us because of God's divine mercy and grace. He desires us to be a demonstration of his grace to all. That throughout all time and throughout eternity that has fallen upon the church, the Ecclesia, the called out ones. The church is not this building. The church is you as believers, me as a believer. He wants us to shine the light out. It is our mission. It is our goal. No matter how, whatever happens, church is the ordained by God to carry out his mission. 
put it to you this way, the church is designed to be the masterpiece of God's goodness. So when people look at us, they don't see perfect people. They see God's grace and love working through us. How we talk to each other, how we behave towards one another, how we come through crisis, all those things. People are looking to us. And here's another thought. If God is so powerful, this is the unbeliever we're talking, we're talking to us. If this God is so powerful, can do all things, why is it that people meet Sunday after Sunday and there's no change whatsoever? I don't care if you've been a believer or a Christian for 46 years or 50 years. You get in the presence of God. He's going to reveal to you things in your life because I've come to the conclusion that no matter what I do in this life, there's always something more to do, something more to, 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 to hand over to him. There's always more to be done because he is changing me into the image of his son. It's always a constant growing thing. It's, it's not a once and over and done. Now you begin by coming forward. You begin by pronouncing your faith in Christ or repenting of your sins and you follow that in baptism. Baptism by itself without any faith or repentance in the heart does nothing for you. Baptism is an outward symbol of what's already happened in your heart already. You're publicly proclaiming that you're dead to yourself. You go into the waters and you're raised up by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not the end of it. That's just the beginning of the journey that will not stop until we're in front of God one day in heaven. It's always constant learning and applying, asking for forgiveness and repentance and the whole process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ every day. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not as a result of works. Even the faith you have, is not your own. It's a gift of God. That conviction that happened to me some years ago, I can't claim credit for that. That was God's Holy Spirit convicting my heart. When I felt the call into ministry, wasn't I just woke up one day, woohoo, I want to be a preacher. Ask my, yeah, go ahead. Ask my wife for a witness for that. But it was convicting of the Holy Spirit telling me and convicting me, and by the way, convicting my wife. It wasn't just automatic I was a pastor overnight. This was a journey, it continues to be a journey of learning, going through hardships and crisis together, but learning how to trust God more and more every day. And for those of you who know that what's happened to me this past week, the reason I can stand here and do this, because this is my therapy, this is my hope, this is what I grab onto. I know my mom was a believer, or is a believer. She passed that on to me. And as a result, I stand in the pulpit today. How can I stand here and do this in light of all what's happened? Because I know where my mom is at. She's where a lot of your loved ones are. You know what they would tell us? I like the book of Hebrews that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses to continue and endure the race. They'd be shouting to us, hey, don't give up. Keep going. If you can only see what I see and experience what I see, Tim, hang in there. Do not give in. Watching us with great interest, perhaps. What scares me sometimes is maybe she'll bump into some people who know me 
at church and other things and whole oh, I don't know about that. But I, I I just want you to know this is this is my it's more it's my hope, it's my foundation. Without this I'd be totally destroyed. Like many of you. First Corinthians twelve three tells us, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit has revealed that to you. It's all God. Think about that. It's all God. God is so gracious and so loving. He's taken every initiative and takes everything. Why? Because of his rich mercy and his great love. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God's grace has transformed us from death into life. That's his workmanship. And just as those dead are characterized by trespasses and sins, as new creations or creatures, we are, believers are to be characterized by good works. Works do not secure salvation, whether they are a fruit of it. You can't earn your way in. If you're sitting there today, I say, I'll wait till I'm better. <laughs> Dear one, you'll never be better. If God's calling you to be more involved in ministry, well, I can't talk like you do, Tim, in front of people. I, I can't. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. You'll be amazed of the stories upon stories if you look in church history. And even today, if people... Who the world would look at and go, ha, what could they possibly do? But because they submitted to God and gave their life and everything over to Him, they did amazing, amazing things. Perhaps you heard of the guy named Billy Graham. His son, Franklin Graham. Those are two come to my mind right on top of my head. And so many more. So many more. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6 puts it this way. Not by, why, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Martin Luther was going through all the hoops and all the procedures that the church told him he had to do to get that peace and forgiveness. But Martin Luther, no matter how hard he tried, this guy, if you want a good book to read about him, I, I have a few, they're easy reads. He tried literally everything. In fact, when he'd go into confession, he would spend hours upon hours. Finally, the priest in the confession would say, hey, Martha, you burned me out. But as soon as he walked out, oh, my, I forgot this one. He'd go, he desperately wanted it. And we came across this, that we are saved by grace. It liberated him. It's like, finally, it's not me who justifies my, it's not my actions that justify me. It's, it's great, uh, Christ justifies uh, Christ's faithfulness, His righteousness that's imputed upon me by believing in Him. We can't earn our way. We can't attain to God's standard of good. Did you see that in the Gospels where a guy came up to Jesus and said, good teacher. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? For there's only one who's good, and that's God in heaven. See, God's goodness is way up here. And really you have to start with, how do you define good? Take it this way. Jesus speaking says, you've heard it say, do not commit murder. But I say unto you, this is Jesus speaking, if you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, you have committed murder in your heart. 
already. He's raising that bar. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you lust after anybody in your heart, you've committed adultery already. It's not just the external actions that he's after. He's after your heart. Should we have laws in our country? Yes. But man's law can never change the human heart. Only God, by his power of his spirit, can change the human heart. I think it's important who we vote for for president. I'm not getting into political speech, but I'll tell you, if we're putting all our hope in who's in the White House, we're putting our hope in the wrong thing. Our hope only comes from one person. His name is Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 11, verse 37 through 39, speaking about the heart and the eternal actions. He says, now when he has spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. And he went in, Jesus went in and reclined at the table. And when the Pharisees saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. In other words, they weren't really interested in getting the hands clean. They just did it ceremonial, be clean. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you you're full of robbery and wickedness. doesn't matter what I wear. Well, to some degree, I would say, yes, it does. But God's more concerned about here. We can fool everybody around us. People think, wow, he has it together. But you cannot fool God. We are forgiven and reconciled to God in spite of who we are. You ever think about that for a second? God loves you in spite of who you are. In spite of everything he knows about me, how how many times I fall short and some of the things that run through my mind, he still loves me. Perhaps today you need to be saved. You desperately need to be delivered and rescued. Right now in this moment, are you dead in your sins and trespasses? Are you following the way of the world, the prince of the power of the air, following the spirit that now works in those who are disobedient? Right now, in this moment, are you a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ? Then praise God for his abundant mercy and love. Let me encourage you, let that flow out in worship and your praises to him. Let people know, let the redeemed of God say so. Are you producing fruit on a daily basis because of your relationship with him? You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's what the text says, not me. It comes down to this. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's what we're called to do. We are the called out ones. Some years ago, I'd heard the gospel. My mom drug me to church every time. I went to church even before I was born. But at a young age, I walked away. In fact, 
Never went and stepped foot in church ever again. In fact, I told Tammy shortly after we were married, and Brooke was just a little baby, I told her, don't talk to me about going to church. I'll never step foot in a church building again. I set up with a little more colorful metaphors. We're not going to go there this morning. But eventually, I went to First Baptist Bellevue one day. It was on a Wednesday night. Never forget it. This guy named Wendell Gill was talking about the gospel in a way I'd never heard it presented before. I could tell this was real to him. That night in his office, I accepted Lord Jesus. He was baptized about two weeks later. Then about a year after that, at a Promise Keepers event, I was called in the ministry. Perhaps that was, to me, salvation was, okay, I don't want to go to hell. I need to go to Christ. But even then, God was working on my heart. I was just consuming everything I could. I would go tell Tammy, I'll go talk to Brother Wendell for an hour, and five hours later, I might come home. I was just consumed with it. But then, finally, telling God, I've given you my heart and everything. God, what else do you want? And that was my calling to ministry. I'm not saying this, please. I'm not saying this, look at me. I'm saying this to give glory to God. Because if he can change me and do the things that he's doing in my life, he can change you too. The only thing stopping you is you. He's done everything that God can possibly do. He's taken the initiative. He's presented time and time again. Do you really want to experience God? I guess is my next question I'm going to stop with. Do you really want to experience God in the way you've never had before? That you read the stories of the Old Testament, New Testament. You said, man, I wish I was there when the Red Sea was parted. I wish I was there when the pillar of fire came down from the sky. I wish I was there when Jesus called out to Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. He came walking out of the tomb. God still does miracles like that among us today. You know what the greatest miracle he does? The greatest miracle he does is when someone who is dead in their trespasses and sins could not do anything about it, could not overcome anything, reaches out to them through his church, through the power of his Holy Spirit, and a person who is an enemy at conflict, hostile to God, becomes a friend of God, part of the family of God. His or her sins totally forgiven. And then gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit, allows you to start embracing the things of God. Illuminate scripture for you. He just keeps calling you. And you will find over time as I have, as I look over these past years, it's never been a huge step. It's always been a baby step. Tim, come on. Come a little closer. Come on. Come a little closer. And as you keep walking in that path, you'll look back and go, wow, look where I've come. And that's how we face the future, with confidence. By looking behind us and seeing the path where he's led us, kept us and carried us he's promised never leave us nor forsake us tim look what i've done for the past have i ever left you no lord you never left me have i ever left you all alone and dying and on the side or no lord you never have you always been there for me every single time well son i'll be with you every step of the way just trust me
trust me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your rich mercy and your compassion that you have. This great love that our language even doesn't come close to really describing how great, how deep, and how wide it is. That, Father, you would take the initiative to send your only son to pay the price that we deserve. We're nothing without you. We're dead. We can't do anything for ourselves, but, dear God, praise. We praise you for your great mercy and compassion and your grace. And, Father, I pray for the ones gathered here and for the ones joining us via the Internet. Father, I pray that your spirit will continue to move that you knock every wall down and break every chain, that, Father, we will no longer listen to the voice of the enemy, but we will listen to your voice, the voice of truth. Father, it's your desire that all men and women, boys and girls, come to repentance and not perish. Father, may we respond in a way that would bring Glory and honor to you. Help us put down our pride and our arrogance, casting all things aside, and cry out to you, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.